Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. What a privilege it is to sit down with you every morning during this COVID-19, I don't know what you call it. Maybe it's just a big mess because it's, it's not just one thing. It's, oh, grabitaga. It's a mess of things. But every morning we get to sit down and refocused on the Word of God. Thank you for allowing me to be a part in your life during this time. Now, right now, Many of you are getting ready to go to work. Transportation is, uh, to say the word difficult is like when Shasha was little, we used to teach her, traffic is terrific. So that rather than say it negatively, she'd say it in a nicer little way and it used to become our family joke. Well, transportation is terrific right now. And some of you, bless your heart, you got home so late last night, and now you got to get up and you're just dreading standing in line for how many hours again. But I want you to remember, we have a job. Okay, we have a job. We have income. Our families are being supported. God is with us. So rather than focus on the bad part of it, let's focus on the good part of it in Jesus' name. Father, we don't belittle or make light of how difficult it is to commute right now. We know that that's taking a toll on people's bodies. It's taking a toll on people's souls. Four hours to buy groceries is one thing, but four hours to wait for transportation. Lord, it's difficult. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would give us a calm spirit today, that you would just quieten our souls like a weaned child within us, as the scripture says, and that, Lord, that there'd be no fuss, there'd be no upset, there'd be no no tirades within us, no explosions within us, no running amok within our soul. But the Lord, our soul would just be at peace today. Jesus, let your peace rest in the soul of every one of our people today, especially those that are commuting, Lord. When they get to the office, there's so much work that's backlogged, they don't even know how to begin or where to begin. Give them wisdom, Father. Give them wisdom to see clearly about how to begin and how to prioritize. Lord, you could teach us. You said in your word in Psalms that you train David's hands for battle. Well, train our hands for work, Lord. Train our hands for work. Train us, Lord, to do things in a way that's the most efficient, that accomplishes the most in the least amount of time today, and that brings the least pressure to our souls. Father, we see all over the world the pressure that's exploding. And it's not just because of racism, Lord. It's because people have been locked up for so long and they're frustrated and there's no work and there's no income. Father, we just ask in Jesus' name. We ask for an outpouring of peace upon this world right now. Father, here within our own nation, just pour out peace. Let there be a baptism of peace like a beautiful cloud that comes upon all the hearts of our people from the Batanis down to General Santos City. And Father, all across the world, Father, let there just be a, a cloud of peace that begins to settle down. People have become so frustrated. Let your peace fill the hearts of people, Lord. The destroyer of this world, the God of this world, the one who destroys nations is rising up. Jesus. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. We ask for a cloud of peace to settle upon our world. 
The destroyer of nations is moving across Africa with these hordes of locusts. Father, just kill them all. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, millions of people are going to starve to death in Africa because of these locusts. Lord, just let them die. Father, in the name of Jesus, just let there be a locust blight and let these things die and stop the multiplication. Oh, Father, command death upon all of those locusts in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for the food in our nation. Father, we pray for all the tuna to return to our waters like they used to be in the 50s and 60s and 70s. The tuna to come in close to shore, Father, where our fishermen can catch them easily and get them to market. And our canneries can begin to function again and fresh food in the markets. Father, for every type of fish, every school of fish, let the currents of the oceans around our islands change and bring the schools of fish in close to our shores. That food will become an abundance again. That fish is almost free, Lord. That every family has full bellies in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that our rice harvest would bloom and blossom. Let us have the greatest harvest we've ever had in our lives. Let every vegetable garden produce double, Lord, in Jesus' name. All in the name of Jesus. Let the vegetable gardens produce double that our people will eat healthy. Let every piggery, let every chicken farm, Father, let every cow farm, let those babies, instead of being born one at a time, let them be born three at a time. Instead of three pigs, piglets, let there be six or seven piglets. Father, in all the animals healthy and grow to full maturity. I thank you for it, Father. We ask you to bless our nation with food, that there will be no nervousness in the hearts of our people, that there will be an abundance of food, Lord. Let every family garden all through the provinces just flourish so that they not only have an abundance for themselves, but even family gardens are selling in the markets. Father, so bless our land with food. So bless our land with food, Father. In Jesus' name, let us become an exporter of food. Let us become an exporter of pork and an exporter of chicken, not an importer. And Lord, there was a day that we exported rice. Let us see that day return. Let there be such an abundance in our land, Lord. Oh, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for it. Jesus' name. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship now.
Well, forgive us. We're bouncing in and out a little bit this morning. We thought maybe we had a problem with my line in and reset that during the music. And then we thought, Brother Jong thought, okay, I'm going to shut everything down. And then he came back to you. So forgive us for bouncing in and out, but um, welcome to live television. All right. We've got our beautiful Psalms 91 recitation now, our foundation of faith during these hard times. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Well, Brother Jong just texted me that you didn't notice the bouncing in and outs. Clever gentleman that he was. He did it all in a way that you didn't know. But I would tell you that my stomach was a little nervous there for a few minutes, like, uh-oh, are we in trouble this morning? Now, next Saturday and Sunday, we're back in our drive-in services. Did I say you can't get out of your car? Did I say you can't get out of your car? Okay. Saturday, 7.30. Sunday, 7.30. Now, Sunday, 7.30 is already completely fully booked. It's already completely reserved. Saturday, we still have some slots available. So at this point in time, we're going to open a Sunday 9.30, all right? So if you would like to come to the Sunday 9.30, it's going to be a little hotter, okay? 7.30 is already warm, but 9.30 is going to be a little warmer. Let's pray for a little bit of cloud cover. Uh, so Sunday 9.30, say, Pastor, what happens if it rains? I will stand in the rain and preach. I've preached in the rain before. I'll preach in the rain again. I mean, if we have a service, you're in the cars. We won't worry about you. Uh, I'll be up on the platform. I got a little bit of cover, so don't worry about it. So Saturday is still available. We still have about 50 slots or so available on Saturday at 7:30. Sunday 7:30 is fully booked, and we have some. And we're opening wide open right now. The Sunday 9:30 service. Now this is for all of our members. We've had people there last Sunday from North Campus, from South Campus, from East Campus, from Main Campus. We had members that drove in from Bulacan, members that drove in from Batangas, members that came over from Cavite. So everybody's welcome, all right? This isn't just a South Campus thing, but if you'd like to be a part, 
please, you need to call and talk with your district pastor, and they will make sure that we reserve a slot for you. All right, because we only have like a couple of hundred slots, and that's it. So it's not a big thing, but it's great. You say, well, pastor, how does it work? Well, we have the go truck set up. We will drive you in, park everybody properly, not sardines, but proper parking, and we'll give you a um, FM station to tune into. So make sure you know how to work your FM radio and tune your FM radio in your car because we have a small uh, FM transmitter that we set up and it will cover just that parking lot area. And uh, you just sit there in your car with the air conditioner on and you honk to say amen and you honk to say praise the Lord. And we'll have communion and the offering envelopes passed out as you enter when you first come in to save time because we can only have 10 workers there, okay? Because the limit is 10 workers. All right, so we got a beautiful testimony for you today. Hello, COP. I'm Sister Marlene. I just want to encourage you again with my testimony. Nag-stag po kami ng small business, yun po ay lotong olam. At first, medyo na-discourage po ako dahil marami na pong karinderya dito sa amin. Mula po sa dalawang order na adobong isaw, ngayon po may regular customers na po kami. Praise God dahil sold out agad yung mga niloto namin. Unexpected po na... Hanggang gabi, nagtatanong pa rin sila at gustong mag-order. Sabi nga sa Proverbs 12:11, Whoever would his land will have plenty of bread, but the follower less for sure lack sense. Uh, truly, God will always bless the work of our hands. Don't be afraid to start that small business. COP family, God is with us. Amen. All right, would you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6 this morning, Acts 6 beginning with verse 1, one of the great keys of church growth. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, now notice these people were already disciples. When you get saved, you're a disciple. They were increasing in number. Church was growing. A complaint by the Hellenists, now those are the, the Greeks, those are the The people who lived in Jerusalem, they're Jews, but they come from a Greek ancestry. They've been raised through one of the dispersions. They've been raised in a Greek-speaking culture with Greek food and, and all of that. The Hellenists, the Greek Jews, arose against the Hebrew Jews. Now, these are the Jews that had lived their whole life in Israel. They ate Israeli food. They had Israeli culture. Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, I want you to notice that the complaint arose because of neglect. Now, the neglect was real. The perceived prejudice was not. Let me say that again. The neglect was real, but the cause of the neglect, prejudice, that was not real. The apostles were Hebraic Jews. And in addition to being Hebraic Jews, the apostles were from Galilee, remember? The only one from that area around Jerusalem was Judas, and he'd committed suicide. So these guys not only did not know Jerusalem and all of its little back alleys and things, they were Hebraic Jews. So the Hellenistic Jews lived in a very different section of the city, the the Hellenistic quarter. Now, Yes, when the apostles had to go out because the offerings were brought and laid at the apostles' feet when they went out to distribute food to the poor, I am sure Hellenistic Jewish widows were neglected because they couldn't find their houses. They didn't know that area of town. It was was difficult. Now, the Hellenists 
and the Hebraics began to get in a battle over perceived bigotry, perceived racism, perceived prejudice that really wasn't there. The neglect was real. The cause of the neglect was not. The cause of the neglect was we're overwhelmed. There's too much work to do. There's too much ministry. We don't know the city. And so rather than fight about prejudice and bigotry, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, gathered the whole church in Jerusalem together, and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word and to serve tables. They said, listen, this is just not right. We are called to preach the gospel. We should not be doing business. Yes, we're not doing a very good job with this business, but that's, that's not our calling. Now, there are many preachers today that give up ministry for the business. Uh, one, Brother John was talking to me again the other day, and one of his great challenges with the American church is that it's no longer a church. It's a Christian business. What has happened is the pastors have given up ministry to run a Christian business. Now, brothers and sisters, the apostles said, no, we're not going to give this up. We're not going to give up ministry to spend our life running the business administration of this church. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Now, there are qualifications. And we will appoint to this duty, whom we will appoint to this duty. So notice, it's not a separation of responsibilities, it's a delegation of responsibilities. Let me say that again. The apostles are still responsible, but they say we need some people to delegate this to. He said, we will appoint them to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That, that is the focus of a pastor, prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paminus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So we have a couple of truths here. First of all, it is not a abdication of responsibility. It is not a separation of responsibility. It is a delegation. The apostles are still responsible, but they delegated. But secondly, all of these names are Greek names. Every one of these names is a Greek name. Now, to me, this is, this is incredible wisdom. Because in many people's lives, perception is more important than reality. The reality of this problem was the apostles were overwhelmed, and they were incapable of doing what needed to be done for the Hellenistic widows because they didn't even know that area of town, okay? And there were no street signs in that day. And if you've ever been walking through the streets of old Jerusalem, you can imagine how difficult it would be. So that's the real problem. But the perceived problem was prejudice. And again, in many people's lives, perception is reality. So what they did is they killed two birds with one stone. They took care of the real problem, many hands make light labor, and they handled the perceived problem. Every one of these men were Greeks. <laughs> that takes care of the problem. Every one, of, every one of these men was Greek. Every one of these men was from the Hellenistic synagogue. They were from the Hellenistic side of town. Ah, 
to me, killing two birds with one stone, that was amazing. And the word of the Lord, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now notice church growth followed the institution of deacons in the church. Now deacon, diakonos, just means servant. In COP, we call them the Council of Servants and the Executive Council of Servants. This is a great secret of church growth. Every district we're setting up, because we've opened all, all these new districts this year, uh, cut down transportation time and everything. So every district, as we get this rolled out, every district will have its own CS that will assist the district pastor in all of this business work and organization and administration of that district so that the pastor can focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. Ah, preaching the gospel house to house. Deacons cause churches to grow. Now, I've had many of my friends all over the world laugh at me because we have a board and we have deacons and we have levels of deacons. And I laugh right back at them and say, it's a great secret of church growth. That way our church does not become a business, a Christian business, because the pastor is running a business. The church stays a church because the pastor is focused on prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So notice, deacons don't just go out and distribute food and handle business affairs of the church. Deacons also preach and pray for the sick and see miracles. Ah, see, so it's not a delineation. You know, in the modern church, they want to have this delineation. The deacons do the business and the pastors do the spiritual. The carnal are done by the deacons and the spiritual are done by the, uh, the pastors. No, it's not like that. They both do both. Then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen. Now, the synagogue of the freedmen is the main Greek synagogue in Jerusalem in this day. Synagogue of the freedmen. Now, why is it called freedmen? Because these men used to be slaves. These were men, Jews, who had been dispersed throughout the Greek and Roman Empire, and they came back to Jerusalem. And they were freedmen. The synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. And of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So the Greeks began to attack one of their former Greek members of the synagogue. Stephen was one of the Greek members of the synagogue before. They began to dispute with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. And they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say this of Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now I want you to notice here. This is the beginning of the persecution under Saul of Tarsus. This is Saul of Tarsus's synagogue. Remember the men from Cilicia. Cilicia is the province. Tarsus, where Paul came from, is the main city. This is where Paul went to synagogue. These men were angry because six of their brethren became powerful leaders in the church in Jerusalem. So they started this dispute, but if you look at here, I could preach about this for hours, but I just want you to notice a couple of things. 
Lies start secretly. Notice. And they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words. Lies start secretly. Lies don't start publicly. Lies start secretly and they grow. Secondly, I want you to notice they learned their lesson. When they came against the apostles earlier, they could do nothing against them. In fact, remember when they came to arrest them the second time in the temple and um, they asked them, please, to come with us? Well, because they were afraid of the people would stone them. They learned, before you go after these people, turn public, turn public opinion against these people. They learned, the people are with these people unless we turn public opinion. So these men were more clever than the Hebraic Jews who fought the apostles. These men turned public opinion first by lies. Then they attacked Stephen. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Most of my life, cause I knew no other way. I tried and tried, but always failed because of what I've said. And one day I just met the man who took away all of my sin.
First Kings chapter 20 today, beginning with verse 1. Ben-Hadad, the king of Assyria, gathered all his army together. Thirty-two kings were with him. Now that's a pretty good-sized army. And horses and chariots. And he went up and closed in on Samaria and fought against it. Now, Samaria is going to be northern, is northern, the, the northern part of what we call Israel today, but it would be the area of the ten tribes, the ones that Jeroboam took off. And he sent messengers into the city of Ahab, king of Israel. Now remember, Israel doesn't refer to all of Israel now, just those ten tribes. And said to them, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine, your best wives and children also are mine. And the king of Israel answered, As you say, O Lord my king, I am yours and all I have. The messengers came and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, I sent to you, saying, Deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children, nevertheless. I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and your houses of your servants and lay hands on whatever pleases you and take it away. Now notice, now they don't just want the wives and children. Anything that makes you happy, they said, we're going to steal from you. Now please forgive me, that's exactly what the devil does. You see, in every family, there are things that please you. They may not please any other family, but in this family, this pleases you. This is something that, that pleases your family. And they said, we're going to take away whatever pleases you. Whatever you like, we're going to take it away from you. Then the king of Israel called the elders of the land and said, Mark now, and see how this man is seeking trouble. For he sent me to me for my wives and my children, and for my silver and my gold, and I did not refuse him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. For he said to the messengers of Benadad, Tell my lord the king, all that you first demanded of your servant I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. Benadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people who follow me. And the king of Israel answered, Tell him, Let not he who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. In other words, don't brag about victory before you got it. Have you ever seen like a, now I'm talking guy talk for a minute, okay, ladies, forgive me. Have you ever seen a boxer who's a showboater, who just brags how he's going to do this, and he's all mouth, and when he gets into the ring, Pacquiao just knocks him to pieces? Okay, that's exactly the wisdom this king is saying. Let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. When Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he was drinking with the kings in the booths, he said to his men, take up your positions, and they took up their positions against the city. Now notice, Ben-Hadad was drinking. He's getting drunk. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab of Israel and said, thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, Ahab was not a good king. Why would God give this guy who's not a good king a miracle? And you shall know that I am God. Goodness of God leads men to repentance. And Ahab said, by whom? And he said, thus says the Lord, by the servants of the governors of the districts. Then he said, who shall begin the battle? And he answered, you. Then he mustered the servants of the governors and the districts, and they were 232. After them, he mustered all the people of Israel, 7,000. And they went out at noon, 
while Ben Haddad was drinking himself drunk in the booths, he and the 32 kings who helped him. Now notice, these guys have this monstrous army, and they're drunk. The top leadership, all 32 kings and the king of Assyria, are drunk. Not a good way to go to war. The servants of the governors of the districts went out first, and Benadad sent out scouts, and they reported, men are coming out of Samaria. And he said, if they have come out in peace, take them alive, or huh, if they have come out for war, take them alive. Those are the words of a drunk man, not the words of a sober man. You can't tie the hands of your military men and say, take them alive. So what do they do? They can't fight with all their strength. They, they kill these guys, and then the king will kill them for violation of his orders. He has bound the hands of his men because he's in a drunken stupor. <laughs> if they come out for war, also take them alive. <sighs> a drunken response. So these men went out of the city, the servants of the governors of the districts and the army that followed. And each struck down his man, and the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. But Ben-Hadad, king of Assyria, escaped on a horse with horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and struck the horses and the chariots and struck the Syrians with a great blow. Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said, Come, strengthen yourself, and consider well what you have to do. For in the spring, the king of Syria will come up against you now. Here's a truth you've got to get a hold of. God said, all right, you had a victory. You had a victory because these guys got drunk. Yes, I gave you the victory, but these guys were drunk. Now, these guys are not going away. They're going to realize their mistakes, and they're going to come back. He said, now, you've got some time. Strengthen yourself. Consider well what you have to do, because there's going to be a round two. Now, now, sometimes even in this COVID-19 thing, I've challenged you. Okay, wonderful. This thing looks like it's passing. But now, don't get rid of that little business that you started yet. Don't quit your job either. Let's just hold steady and consider well what we should do. Sometimes you have to understand, prudence prepares. Ah, prudence prepares. Let me say that again. Prudence prepares. God teaches him to prepare and to think well what he should do. And the servants of the king of Syria said, Their gods are the gods of the hills, so they are stronger than we. But let us fight them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And do this, remove the kings each from his post and put commanders in their place, and muster an army like an army that you have lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot. In other words, hey, king, don't take your friends out to war. Get military men in charge. <laughs> Remember, they're going back trying to figure out what they did wrong. They're going, hey, we had all of King's friends out there and they all got drunk. Let's have professional military men this time. Then we will fight against them in the plain and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. In the spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and they went up to Afak to fight against Israel. And the people of Israel were mustered and provisioned. Notice, mustered and provisioned. They not only had to be gathered, they had to have food. And went up against them. 
the people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats. <laughs> but the Syrians filled the country. And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is the God of the hills, but he is not the God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give you all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. He said, now, Ahab, I'm not giving you this victory because you're doing right. I'm giving you this victory because of what they have said about me. And I'm giving you this victory so that you'll know that I'm God. And they encamped opposite one another seven days. On the seventh day, the battle joined. And the people of Israel struck down the Syrians, a hundred thousand foot soldiers in one day. And the rest fled into the city of Aphek, and the wall fell upon 27,000 men who were left. Ben-Hadad also fled and entered an inner chamber in the city, and his servants said to him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us put sackcloth around our waist and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. And they tied sackcloth around their waist and put ropes on their heads, and they went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Does he still live? He is my brother. Now the men were watching for a sign, and they quickly took it from him and said, Yes, your brother Ben-Hadad. Then he said, Go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out, and he caused him to come up into the chariot. And Ben-Hadad said to him, the cities that your fathers took from your father, my father took from your father, I will restore, and you may establish bazaars for yourself in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab, in other words, you can sell your goods. And Ahab said, I will let you go on these terms. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. Now you and I sit there and think, wonderful, this is, this is absolutely beautiful. We have peace, but that's not how God saw it. Verse thirty-five. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to this fellow at the command of the Lord, Strike me, please. But the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have gone from me, a lion shall strike you down. As soon as he departed from him, a lion met him and struck him down. Then he found another man and said, Strike me, please. <laughs> and the man struck him, struck him and wounded him. Yeah, me too. Okay, I like living. So the prophet departed and waited for the king on the way disguising himself with a bandage over his eyes. And as the king passed, he cried to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a soldier turned and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And as your servant was busy here and there, he is gone. The king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Then he hurried to take away the bandage from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his life, and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house, vexed and sullen, and came to Samaria. <laughs> now, now, would you look at this guy? He thinks he's done all the right thing, but see, he made decisions without prayer. He made decisions without consultation. He did what looked like what was right in human wisdom, not what, what God wanted done. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, the will of God is very different than human wisdom. But now notice, vexed and sullen. He was a very moody guy. He got depressed really easy. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. 
And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it. If it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give to you the inheritance of my fathers. Now, there's a beautiful truth. The inheritance of my fathers. This was the inheritance passed down from the time of Moses. This was their family's land. That Every jubilee, this came back to his family. He recognized this is an inheritance of my family. I'm not going to get rid of my inheritance. If I give it to the king, it'll be gone forever from my family. And Ahab went to the house vexed and sullen. He didn't get his own way, poor baby. And because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down in his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Spoiled, spoiled, sullen man. Verse 5. But Jezebel, now here's a wicked lady, all right? But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. Now, this is something you have to learn in life. When people close to you, because they're close to you, they have authority. They're not questioned in other people's minds because they're close to you. They had his seal so they could act as if they were him. It's like name dropping, using somebody's name. You have to be careful with people close to you who use your name to do things because you're going to suffer for it. Let me say that again. You are going to suffer for it, as you will see in this story. So be careful to people close to you who use your name because you will suffer for it. She wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men. Remember all these times we've been reading about worthless men. Set two worthless men opposite to him and let them bring a charge against him, saying, you have cursed God and king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders of Israel who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it is written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, set Naboth at the head of the people, and two worthless men came and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is dead, is not alive but dead. As soon as Ahab heard Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take profession of, possession of it. Now notice, here's a man who's just happy as can be. He's happy as a pig in a mud puddle because now he gets his little vegetable garden, but he had a man killed to get it. Verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Now God sends in Elisha. 
Arise and go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Wow. Now notice, God held Ahab responsible for the practices of his wife, using his name, his seal, giving orders in his name, he got held responsible. Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? (laughs) Ahab never liked Elijah. He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Now notice, selling yourself to do evil. Now there's a phrase that you need to get a hold of. Sold himself to do what was evil. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you and will utterly burn you up and cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me and because you made Israel sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel. Grabe talaga. You're not going to, she's not, your wife's not going to get buried. The queen is not going to get buried. She will be eaten by dogs. Anyone belonging, shall be eaten by dogs within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. Now, notice, God holds them both responsible. Ahab, you did this. Jezebel, your wife, motivated you. You're both going to be held responsible. But notice what their problem was. They sold themselves to do evil. They did evil for a profit. They did evil to make money. Now, I challenge you businessmen today, there is no money worth sin, okay? There is no money worth sin. People have often said, every man has his price. Well, excuse me, for me and you, Jesus paid the price of his own blood. Like a man looked at me one day and said, every man has his price. (laughs) I said, I've already been bought and paid for, and you can't match the offer. Jesus gave himself to die for me. Businessmen, please hear me. There is no profit worth sin. Never sell yourself to do evil. Never sell yourself to do what is evil. And ladies, never sit there and nag and manipulate and push your husband to do what's wrong. Jezebel is the absolute opposite of a noble wife from Proverbs 31. If Proverbs 31 is this tremendous wife, Jezebel is the antithesis of it all. He acted, verse 26, abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Wow, God noticed. Even this jerk of a man, Ahab, humbled himself before God. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, 
but in his son's days. I will bring the disaster upon his house. The fruit of humility postpones reaping. Let me say that again. The fruit of humility is a postponement of reaping what you sowed. And sometimes the abolition, I'd have to show that to you in other scriptures, sometimes the removal of what you have sowed. If you have done wrong, and now you're paying the penalty for doing wrong, the way to fix things is to humble yourself. It's not to fight. It's not to continue in your arrogance and pride. It's to humble yourself. God sees humility. Ah, all right. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock sharp.